We're reading from two passages this afternoon. The first is 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, starting at verse 13, reading through to chapter 5 to verse 11. And then the second will be from 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, starting to read at verse 6 and reading through to chapter 2, verse 10. But I do not want you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning those who have fallen asleep, lest you sorrow as others who have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so God will bring with him those who sleep in Jesus. For this we say to you by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will by no means precede those who are asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel, and with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and thus we shall always be with the Lord. Therefore comfort one another with these words. But concerning the times and the seasons, brethren, you have no need that I should write to you. For you yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord so comes as a thief in the night. For when they say peace and safety, then sudden destruction comes upon them as labour pains upon a pregnant woman, and they shall not escape. But you, brethren, are not in darkness, so that this day should overtake you as a thief. You are all sons of light and sons of the day. We are not of the night, nor of darkness. Therefore, let us not sleep as others do, but let us watch and be sober. For those who sleep, sleep at night, and those who get drunk are drunk at night. But let us who are of the day be sober, putting on the breastplate of faith and love, and as a helmet, the hope of salvation. For God did not appoint us to wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, that whether we wake or sleep, we should live together with him. Therefore comfort each other and edify one another, just as you are doing. 2 Thessalonians chapter 1 verse 6 It is a righteous thing with God to repay with tribulation those who trouble you, and to give you who are troubled rest with us when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven with his mighty angels, in flaming fire taking vengeance on those who do not know God and on those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. These shall be punished with everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his power. When he comes in that day to be glorified in his saints and to be admired among all those who believe, because our testimony among you was believed. Therefore we also pray always for you that our God would count you worthy of this calling and fulfill all the good pleasure of his goodness and the work of faith with power that the name of our Lord Jesus Christ may be glorified in you and you in him according to the grace of our God and the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, brethren, concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our gathering together with him, we ask you not to be soon shaken in mind or troubled, either by spirit or by word or by letter, as as if from us, as though the day of Christ had come. Let no one deceive you by any means, For that day will not come unless the falling away comes first, 
And the man of sin is revealed, the son of perdition, who opposes and exalts himself above all that is called God, or that is worshipped, so that he sits as God in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. Do you not remember that when I was still with you, I told you these things? And now you know what is restraining, that he may be revealed in his own time. For the mystery of lawlessness is already at work, only... only He who now restrains will do so until he is taken out of the way, and then the lawless one will be revealed, whom the Lord will consume with the breath of his his mouth and destroy with the brightness of his coming. The coming of the lawless one is according to the working of Satan, with all power, signs, and lying wonders, and with all unrighteous deception among those who perish, because they did not receive the love of the truth that they might be saved." On Friday the 2nd of September, the Times newspaper published a survey in which it said that organised Christianity in the UK is declining by 2% per year, whereas there is a mushroom growth of Islam. It predicted that if these trends continue, in three decades there will be twice as many Muslims in the UK as there are confessing Christians. Other mushroom growth reported lately include the following, and you could add to this. Binge drinking, occult interest, teenage pregnancy, rape, gun crime, drug abuse, breakage of homes and marriages, and of course the increase in things like homosexuality. Does this make you fearful? I find many Christians are running scared. And I just want to establish a principle before we look at how the second coming of Christ relates to this dark backcloth. When we have fear, the way to tackle it is not to put our head in the sand and pretend these things are not there. It's to look at the facts which are on our side. And faith then looks to those facts. Faith is not like a fog that floats around and you've either got it or you haven't. It's taking God at his word and believing what he's told us. And we have ample reason to do that. You probably know I'm a retired criminal lawyer, or should I say I'm a retired lawyer who used to practice criminal law. You may not think there's much of a difference. Um, But I'm very used to looking at facts. And my faith is based upon fact, not upon wishful thinking. What is the fear, then, that comes? Well, it's basically three. Will Christianity crumble? Will we be swamped by rampant sin? This nanny government of ours that can imprison a Scotsman for calling a Welshman, not in prison, sorry, that can convict a Scotsman for calling a Welshman boyo, and yet murder millions of babies, is a government that obviously is the seedbed in which sin can grow. That doesn't stop me praying for them, the Bible says I should. Will persecution come? And will it lead to death? 
I agree that if this incitement to religious hatred bill becomes law, no matter what the politicians say now, because who believes what politicians say anyhow, that there could well be persecution of Christians. You know, I spend a lot of my time going to prison. I was in Leicester prison this morning. And if that is made law, and if they apply it here as they have applied it in Australia, I will be saving some travelling expenses. Because I'll be in prison already. One thing's for sure, I am not going to stop saying, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. Neither will I proclaim anything other than there is no other name given under heaven amongst men whereby you must be saved. And if that takes a prison sentence, let's all do it. There isn't room for prisoners now, especially with the Hunts people. <laughs> and we all do it, where are they going to put us? But I want to say a few things about fear before I come on to the facts of the second coming. First of all, what I've quoted from the Times is statistics. And you know what Disraeli said about statistics? I will not use his, his adjective because I don't believe in swearing at all. But he said there are lies, white lies, and statistics. And the government are very good at manipulating those, of course, as we know. All those brilliant people passing the GCE will appreciate that. <laughs> so, it's only a statistic. Secondly, mushroom growth. May I remind you that mushrooms grow best on manure. And the sinful rejection of God and his word is exactly the growth where we would expect for false doctrine, be it, be it a pseudo-Christian cult or be it the false teaching of Islam or any other religion. That doesn't stop me loving the Muslim. In fact, most of the Muslims I know would be disappointed if I didn't agree with, if I didn't disagree with them. They're honest enough to admit that. It's only the nanny state that gets worried. So what do we do about this manure heap that has become the moral standard of the country which once was known as a sending place for the gospel? Well, we've got to deal with the manure heap. How do we deal with it? Through the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Only when people have their hearts clean and communities are affected by Christians as they were through Wesley and Whitfield, where we see that heat begin to be cleaned up. Only when Christians engage in holy living, instead of trying to mimic the world and be like them, will we make an impact. Only when biblical preaching that doesn't tickle ears takes over, will we know anything about that. And how about losing dead churches, the 2% per year? I say the sooner they go, the better. Let's prune the branches. I grieve that some churches where the gospel was once preached have now become warehouses and bingo halls and what have you, but if the gospel is not preached there, they may as well use them for something else. The church does not consist of buildings and denominations. It consists of people who know Christ, who have been born again, who stand on the word and who live for the Lord. And maybe it's going to take a bit of persecution in our country to wake us up to the fact that we're supposed to be different. 
And I'm no braver than you are. I'm a coward at heart. But God gives grace. The Puritans used to say, God doesn't give dying grace to live with. And he doesn't give non-persecuting grace to live with when you're not being persecuted. His grace is sufficient for every need. Next thing I want to say about the fears is the Bible never says we'll be in the majority. We have been the exception in this country to have it so long our own way. Jesus said, broad is the way that leads to destruction. There are many on it. Narrow is the way that leads to life and few find it. Don't be surprised that we're in the minority. That's normal biblical Christianity. That's how the church grew in the early days. Truth has never been popular. Like the man who read of the danger of lung cancer associated with smoking. He was so worried that he gave up reading. Same with the Bible. We don't like the message, so we give it up. Christ, the Bible says, is despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. He still is. And how about increasing sin? Look at the wonder of the cross. But he who knew no sin was made sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. That he bore our sins in his own body on the tree, that like a divine pure sponge, he sucked in all the sewage of human sin, so much so that he actually was made sin for us when he bore our, our judgment, our hell on that cross. That's what deals with our sin. And if we proclaim that message as Dave Gayton so faithfully put to us yesterday morning, then others will come to that cleansing as well. The blood of Jesus Christ, God's Son, cleanses from what, folks? How much sin? What's the word? All sin. Never forget it. And how about persecution and death? How about that fear? Well, I've got news for you. Unless Christ comes again, you're going to die anyhow. It's only a time question. Some of us may not be here next year. I remember when I was a very keen cricketer in my youth, my 17-year-old friend who I played cricket with, hearing on the news he'd been killed in a head-on crash. Don't assume tomorrow belongs to you. That's why it's important to live for Christ now. And when it comes, so what? Billy Bray, when being interviewed by his doctor and told he was going to die, came out with this word. Praise the Lord, doctor. And when I get there, shall I give him your compliments and tell him you're coming too? <laughs> That's the attitude to death. It's not an enemy, it's a friend. Absent from the body is present with the Lord. To be with Christ is far better. I believe that with all my heart, and I have reason to. And the Bible says we've got to get our eyes fixed on eternity. It says don't set your pleasures on earth, don't set your mind on things on the earth, set them above. And it says your names are written in heaven. May I point out, as one who believes very definitely in the perseverance of the saints, I'd rather talk about the perseverance of the Saviour, but I believe in them both. May I say that it's written 
in indelible grace and mercy. If you know Christ as your Savior, you are His for eternity. Have confidence in that. So death, no problem. We've got to face it anyhow. So if it comes early, what does it matter? And how about the future? Billy Graham in 1961, and by the way, I grieve over some of the ways that the Billy Graham ministry has gone since then, I must say, especially regarding the ecumenical movement. But Billy Graham in 1961 at Manchester said this, Mr. Khrushchev will not have the last word in history. Mr. Kennedy will not have the last word in history. Mr. Macmillan will not have the last word in history. Christ will have the last word in history when he comes again. Now, most of you think that Khrushchev is a guy who owns a Chinese restaurant. He was a Russian leader. Kennedy you've heard about because he got assassinated. Macmillan, wasn't he a publisher? Well, he was also a prime minister. He said, you've never had it so good. And got in once. And then the next election said, you've had it. And he got out. (laughs) (laughs) Billy Graham was right. Christ will come again. So what are the facts about it? Where can we put our confidence in the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ? And by the way, I'm not going to talk about post-millennial, pre-millennial, amillennial, or pan-millennial. There are many people who hold different views. They can't all be right, but if they want to know, come and see me afterwards. <laughs> and I'll give a free copy of my book, Humility and How I Achieved It. <laughs> the first thing I want to say is this. He will come majestically. As King of kings and Lord of lords, he will come in great glory, the Bible says. There'll be trumpets coming with him. There'll be angels there. Jesus Christ is not a religious leader amongst religious leaders. He is God amongst men. Who died on a cross bearing our sin and rose again from the dead. And ascended to heaven. And one day he'll come in great power and glory. That's our Saviour. He'll come majestically. Secondly, everybody will know when he's come. The Jehovah's Witnesses have had at least two stabs, maybe three, at the date he came. So when a Jehovah's Witness tells you a date, ask him, why was he late the first three times? And then they said, oh, well, what really happened was he came back invisibly. How convenient. And when my wife says, why are you late home? I came back invisibly, love. The Bible says, every eye will see him. Every knee will bow. Every tongue will confess that Christ is Lord. Including those who deny the Bible, the evil creation, the cross and all the other things we've thought about. They will confess in that day. He is Lord. Why didn't I yield to him? Thirdly, he will either be expected and longed for, or unexpected and unwelcome. I am talking about the confidence in his coming, but I want to say to someone here today, you have no reason for confidence in his coming, 
Because I'm sure in a meeting like this, even at the Beaks Mission, there are some people here who have not yet repented of their sin and turned to Christ. You have no reason to be confident. You have every reason to be scared stiff. Because were Christ to come today, and I'm not saying he will, you're not ready. You're lost. And that lostness is an eternal lostness. And that's why it's so important to turn from your sin now and put your trust in the Saviour who died in the, on the cross in your place and ask him to forgive you and come into your life and take over. When I was at school many hundreds of years ago, yes, they did have schools then, I remember at the end of term, the headmaster was bringing a party of governors around. This was Leeds Grammar School. A lovely Latin song. I can still know the words. I still don't know what it means. He came into our, our, our form room where the form master had gone out. And there were two people fighting on the floor. I remember it well because I was on top at the time. (laughs) Now, this this headmaster was good at performing a personal dry cleaning. He used to take a stick and hit you across the dusty part of your trousers. And I'd suffered from him before. He came in and I was on the floor fighting with Michael Black. I can remember his name now. I was trying to make his eyes match his name. (laughs) And as he came in, with the governors behind him, (laughs) happily, he saw me. He didn't want to to be ashamed before the governors closed the door and ran out. And I'm glad he forgot before the beginning of next term because that was the worst holiday I've ever had. When Christ comes again, will you be like me? Caught in the act. Is it watching the doubtful video? Is it reading the paper that you shouldn't be reading? Is it gossiping about someone? Is it being at home when you should be at the prayer meeting at your church? Or going around to the visitation? Is it taking extra time off when you could have helped on that beach mission team? Let me give you another picture. I remember when we lived in Belgium. And I used to travel a lot internationally. Come back to Zaventem Airport very late. And Philippa used to bring the kids down to meet me. And there were all these miserable looking businessmen coming out with bags almost as big under their eyes as the bags they were carrying. What they call the red eye, you know, coming in like this. And I was with them carrying my bags and I came through the customs and came through and it was just like the days I used to play rugby. Suddenly I was tackled by kids, my own kids, running at me, throwing their arms around me, saying, Daddy, Daddy! And Deb, she said, Daddy, it's lovely to see you and give me a great big kiss. And Paul would say, have you got a present? (laughs) It's changed now. (laughs) It's the other way around. The point was... The, uh, no, Paul doesn't say, have you got a kiss? <laughs> He's a big, strong fellow now. Um, though I'm glad to say, my six-foot-two lad still kisses me when he sees me. I'm glad about that. But can I tell you this? They were thrilled to see me, because for some reason they loved me. And they were looking forward to my return. Is that the way I'm looking forward to Christ coming back? Or is it an inconvenience that will spoil my lifestyle? Stop me watching that programme. Stop that relationship that's wrong. 
Will I be found out with the filth of my attitude towards sex? I spoke to a Christian in prison today who backslid and is there on a sex charge. And it didn't happen overnight. When you leave the Lord, you're on a downward slide. The time to repent, folks, is now. Always now. Will, you, will Christ be unwelcome or will he be the one you're longing to see? Gifts or no gifts. When Christ comes again, he will judge unconverted sinners. Sally's already read to us from Thessalonians. Let me read that passage again. Because it's a tremendously important passage. And how anybody can claim that, it's, uh, that God won't come to judge, I do not know. One, uh, 2 Thessalonians 1 and verse 7. I find these are solemn words. Listen to this. You who are troubled, rest with us when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire, taking vengeance on those who do not know God and on those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. These shall be punished with everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his power when he comes in that day to be glorified in his saints and to be admired among all those who believe. Why? Because our testimony among you is believed. He will come to judge. If that isn't a motive for evangelism, I don't know what is. If I have confidence in his coming, confidence in his gospel, I see a lost world, what am I going to do? I'm going to pour myself out in the gospel. Sometimes I get very tired, and I know Philippa does, going around all the prisons. But you know, when time comes to an end for me, I'd rather have been doing that than anything else. I really would. But if he comes to judge, he's coming to take his own. And I think this is one of the most amazing passages in the Bible. Although they're all pretty amazing, that's a stupid statement. Every time I read one, I think that's amazing. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, just read this one. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 13. I do not want you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning those who have fallen asleep, in other words, those who are dead. They'd been told by some that the day of Christ had come and they'd missed it. He said, I don't want you to be ignorant about that. Lest you sorrow as others who have no hope. Listen to this. If we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so God will bring with him those who sleep in Jesus. For this we say to you by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord, in other words, those of us who are alive on the earth, will by no means precede those who are asleep, those whose souls he brings with him. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, and with the voice of an archangel, and with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. 
So those whose bodies have gone to the grave will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds. Corinthians says we'll be changed in the twinkling of an eye. Resurrection bodies will be ours. We'll be caught up together within the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And thus we shall always be with the Lord. And then he adds this lovely sentence. Therefore, comfort one another with these words. Have confidence in it. The future for the Christian is unmitigatingly bright. A hundred years from now, a thousand years now, and a million years from now, we'll be rejoicing in the Saviour who we've hardly got to know down here. Why then don't we treat him as Lord whilst we're here and concentrate on him? Why do we put rivals to his lordship in our lives? He will end history. He will judge nations. He will save Israel. And he will usher in the final state. There will be new heavens and new earth. 2 Peter 3.13 tells us, in which righteousness dwells. He's coming! He is coming. Do you believe that? Do you believe it? I can hardly hear you. Do you believe it? Yes. Are you going to live in the light of it? Are you? Yes. Somebody said we should live as if Christ died this morning rose this afternoon and is coming back this evening. Now, I don't know when he's coming back. I would not seek to predict. All I know is, even with the things that the Bible says will happen before he comes, there is a sense of urgency about it so that John on the Isle of Patmos, out there imprisoned or banished for the sake of the gospel, says, even so, Lord, what? Come quickly. Even so, Lord, come quickly. He's coming. And it may be sooner than we think. Those are the facts of the coming. Muhammad won't do it. Buddha won't do it. Confucius can't do it. The Pope can't do it. The Archbishop can't do it. Jesus Christ, King of Kings and Lord of Lords, will come again in great power and glory. If we haven't got confidence in that, let's pack the whole thing up and go home and stop playing games. That's our saviour. Right then, my last few minutes, I've dealt with the fear, I've dealt with the facts. How then, if I look at the faith, how can I personally have confidence in that coming? Number one, and I say it again without apology, Make sure that you are really saved. Going on a beach mission team does not make you a Christian. The Bible says you've got to make your calling and election sure. 2 Peter 1.10. It doesn't mean you can work your way. It means you've got to examine yourself to see if you're in the way. That's 2 Corinthians 13.5. But the trouble is many Christians are in the way. Uh, but it doesn't mean that. See if you're in the way of salvation, whether you have really come to know Christ. There's a time for examination. Is there the evidence in my life that I am really born again? Do I have a hatred for sin and a turning from it? Do I have a love for the Word 
and an emphasis on it? Or do I know more about the crazy pop scene than I do about the Bible? Where's my money spent? In promoting the gospel or in useless toys of dust? Make sure you're really saved. If you know know Christ, your life is different. Secondly, to have that confidence, make sure that you're seeking holiness. Now, I know we never find it completely down here. We're sinful people, but that's no excuse. Admission of sin is not the same as acceptance of sin. In fact, just the reverse. When I see how poor and shabby I am, that should drive me even more to God for his cleansing and his help. Creating me a clean heart, O God, renew within me a right spirit, should be my prayer as it was David's. The Bible says, He that has this hope, the hope of the coming of Christ again in him, purifies himself even as he is holy. If I really believe with my heart, not just in my head, that Christ is coming again, I'd be living a pure life. One day the judge will be at the door. And even apart from that, I'll want to be found faithful when he comes to please him, because I love him. I love Philippa. I really do. To my mind, you know, they say the second best choice, in, in the second best is big biggest decision in the world is to get a fine Christian wife. And I've got one. I was in a meeting once and somebody said to me, do you believe in the second blessing? I said, yes, I married her. (laughs) And this person who had a certain doctrinal view said, don't be flippant. I said, don't you tell me I'm flippant. I've never been more serious in my life. I can't think why I said that, but I thought you'd like to know. (laughs) Anyhow, it'll get me a good birthday present and nothing else. The Bible says, without holiness, no one shall see the Lord. Don't fool yourself that you're converted if you're not seeking holiness. That doesn't mean to say that by achieving your own holiness, your works get you through that. What it's saying is, you've so repented of sin, you've so trusted in Christ, you're so yielded to his lordship, that despite your many sins and failures, and I'm top of the list, folks, you're seeking holiness. You're asking for that cleansing. You want to be drawn closer to him. Only if you're seeking holiness will you have confidence in his coming. Otherwise, it will be an unwelcome interruption in your selfish life and mine. The third reason, make sure you really say, make sure you're seeking holiness. How do I know, how do I have this confidence? Know that God always, 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 what's the next word? Always, again, always keeps his word. He cannot lie. He really is coming. He said he would. And it might be soon. When Noah was building his ark, it was said of Noah that he floated a limited company when the world was in liquidation. When he was building his ark, people laughed at him and said, how stupid. But God had said, Noah, you do it. I'm going to judge that world. And judge it he did. And he will come to judge again. And one taken, one left. One taken in judgment, by the way, in context, not in any other way, despite the paperbacks. 
So what does John say? Even so, come Lord Jesus. John on Patmos knows that God keeps his word. He will keep his word. This is more up to date than tomorrow's history and a thousand times more reliable. He will come again. Believe it. The whole testimony of Scripture and the promise of Christ testifies to that. Fourthly, don't be too attached to this world. One of the illustrations I learned years ago, and I still think it's a good one, was that when they used to lead animals or drive animals to the slaughterhouse, someone couldn't understand why a man walking along the street was followed by the pigs that were going to be slaughtered. Why do they follow you, he said. Well, it's easy, he said. I've got a pocket full of acorns. I just want to throw one in the dirt, and one snuffles up to it, the rest follow them. I throw another in the dirt, and they snuffle up to it, another one. As long as I throw the acorns in the dirt, the pigs have got their noses so close to the dirt, they'll follow it. Before they realise where they are, they're in the slaughterhouse. So many of us who are Christians have got our noses so close to the dirt of this world that we don't realise we're moving towards a slaughterhouse of our spiritual life. So many non-Christians have got their noses in the dirt, they don't realise they're moving to the slaughterhouse of eternal punishment. Don't get your nose so close to the dirt that you're not looking up for the coming. The Bible says, love not the world, nor the things that are in the world. Fifthly, revel in the uniqueness of Christ. He is different. And may I say, of course Christ will come again. What else could he do? He was the eternal God who was born of a virgin. He lived a sinless, righteous life. No one else has done that. He died on a cross of substitutionary death, bearing our sin. He rose again from the dead in resurrection glory. Steve dealt with that. No one else has done that. He ascended to heaven. Of course he must come again. There's no other logical outworking. He is King of kings and Lord of lords. He's got to do it. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant and coming in likeness of men and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. Therefore God also has highly exalted him, And given him the name which is above every name, Mr. Blair. Above every name. And at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow. Of those in heaven, and those on earth, and of those under the earth. And that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, the glory of God God the Father, What else can Jesus do but come again in glory? There's nowhere else, nothing else for him to do except to wind this world up in his glory. And nearly through. 
Make sure you're really saved. Make sure you're seeking holiness. No, God always keeps his word. Don't be too attached to the world. Revel in the uniqueness of Christ. Embrace the uniqueness of the gospel that David Gayton shared with us. Our gospel is different. Where mercy met the anger of God's wrath, a penalty was paid, a pardon bought, and sinners lost at last to him were brought. No wonder that new hymn, modern hymn says, great is the glory, great is the gospel of our glorious God. It is a great gospel. Gypsy Smith was asked, the, this is a gypsy evangelist, was asked, so what, did he, what, did, what did he attribute his success in the gospel, apart from it being the Lord's grace? And he said this, he said, listen to this, folks, he said this, I have never lost the sense of the wonder of the gospel. Can I say that again? I have never lost the sense of the wonder of the gospel. That's more important than whether England win the ashes, and I don't care, and I don't know, and I don't want to know on the Lord's day. And I speak as a former very keen cricketer. That's more important than what happens to my exam results. Or even my marriage. Whether I'm going to get married or not. Or where my wealth is. The most important thing is to never lose your sense of wonder of the gospel. That God loves you when you did not love him. That he died as a propitiation for your sin. And that he'll forgive and cleanse and accept you. And one day take you home. I'm not charismatic. I'm not Pentecostal. But how we can sit there looking so miserable apart from my face. We ought to be standing on our face saying hallelujah for that. Thank you. (laughs) Last thing. How can I have confidence in his coming? Last point. Very simple, but not easy. When, I was, uh, when one of my sons was small, he asked me to dive off a high diving board. Having, me having boasted I could do it first. Stupid thing to do. Do it then, Daddy said. Well, I'd give him my word. You know, I found it ever so simple. You just do it the way you, as you always do. Like this. I didn't find it easy. It was a long way down. There's something I want to say to you as we finish that's simple but not easy. How can I have confidence in his coming? Listen to this. Yield to him now. Right now where you are. If you're not a Christian, this is your time to come to him to ask for his forgiveness. And ask him to save you. If you're a backslider, this is the time to confess that sin and come back to him and ask that the blood of Christ would cleanse you from all your sin and it will. If you're a Christian who, like me, struggles but wants to go on, this is a time to yield yet again. We do it each day, don't we? To yield to him and ask him to be Lord of our lives yet again and to keep us walking in his grace and in his word in his spirit day by day the Lord will come